0: In this day and age, is it a rule of thumb to test for anything other than matchability to become a donor at the biorepositories?
1: I can answer that with a thousand percent confidence. Absolutely not. If there is a breakthrough in science and suddenly there's something new that we could test for or we want to run some kind of pilot testing, we will reach out to that registry member and ask, are you interested? Would you provide a fresh sample?
0: Welcome to Black Blood Hills from Be The Match, the most diverse bone marrow registry in the world. Tune in each week as I share tools and resources on ways you can be a change agent and save a life in your community. Welcome to Black Blood Hills, where we strive to provide information, inspiration, and resources to those looking for a cure for a blood cancer or blood disease, either for themselves or for a loved one. I'm your host, Tamara Weston, and I thank you for joining us today. If I mention a couple of names to you, what does that mean? Henrietta Lacks, Tuskegee Experiment, Those are names that for generations have been passed down within the African-American communities. A fear of doctors, a fear of health institutions, a fear of giving blood, DNA, organs, all of that stems from those names and others similar to them, both past and present. Be the match. We understand that and we want to try to help resolve some of those concerns in regards to stem cell transplants or bone marrow transplants. I'm joined today by Jessica Henry, Manager of the Biorepository Services at Be The Match, and today we're going to talk about what happens to your samples once you swab and send it back in, what happens to the swabs of your inside of your cheek. Where does it go? What is it used for? Are there underlining purposes or is it straightforward and direct as we look for donor matches for those searching for a cure? Welcome, Jessica. How are you?
1: I am so excited to be with you, Tamara. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. I know that, you know, your days are busy. So taking the time out to meet with me and talk to me is, is very appreciative on my end and hopefully for our guests as well. Absolutely. Giving
1: tours of the biorepository is one of my favorite parts of my job. And so to do a podcast about it instead is something new, but really exciting.
0: I love it. And I'm glad that you're excited. So as we continue to talk to our guests, why don't you tell us a little bit about not only what you do, but what the biorepository is? Absolutely. The biorepository is a place
1: where a team of about 30 staff members work on all different types of samples, some at the time of recruitment, some that are a little bit further down the timeline towards the donation process, and other research samples that come after the point of donation. My team specifically focuses on helping new people join the registry by providing that cheek swab and getting it processed and ready for testing so they can be searchable to patients who need a transplant.
0: Absolutely, all sounds fascinating and when you think about a tour of such facility, I'm sure that people are just well, well into it. Um and for those of us listening, just to recap When you join the registry, it involves swabbing the inside of your cheek. So, once you have decided that you want to join the registry, Be The Match will send you a swab kit similar to what was used during COVID. But instead of swabbing your nose, you swab the inside of your cheek for 10 seconds on each side, and you then return that sample into the postage paid envelope that Be The Match provides you. It is a secure method of mailing. And once is put back into the mailbox or the post office, it then ends up at the buyer repository where Jessica works. So when we think about where your sample goes, know that it is going to a medical facility or something similar. Jessica, please correct me if I'm wrong. It's going to someplace similar where they will then remove it from the safety of the envelope and they will begin the process of making sure or seeing if you are able to actually join the registry. Jessica, I may have botched that up a little bit in terms of explanation. So why don't you help my audience understand a little bit better?
1: You're exactly right, Tamara. I can add a few more details in. When samples arrive at the biorepository, that's something that happens with us every day. We get thousands of samples and my team will take them in those envelopes and we will use the barcodes on the outside to say yes. Now we have custody of these samples and these specific ID numbers that my team cannot trace back to any personal identity or demographic information. And we also assign storage locations at that time. So every sample has a place to be, just like every book in the library has an assigned place on the shelf. From there, my team will put these samples on racks and we will inspect them one by one. So the first samples that come in will be the first samples to be inspected and they'll wait their turn accordingly. As my team is inspecting samples, they'll open just one envelope at a time to make sure that we're not intermixing samples from multiple people. And they're doing a visual quality inspection to make sure that each swab stick has a label on it and that that label is well aligned, that there aren't too many sticky edges of that label hanging out that are gonna get stuck to other things along the line. They're also looking to make sure that the barcode on the label is visible. Sometimes folks will wrap the label all the way around the, the swab stick, or they'll put it over the tips of the swab because they're trying to protect that sample on its way to us. But that adhesive actually interferes with the testing that our contract laboratories need to do. So my team does a quick look at those samples to make sure that they're in good shape And when we determine that they are, we will take them out of their kit that they arrived inside of and we'll put them into a smaller storage sleeve and we'll store those samples on site at the biorepository for usually one to three weeks until our contract laboratories are ready to accept another shipment of samples. If we find samples that don't pass our quality inspection. Maybe the labels are over the swab tips or we're missing a label, so we're not completely sure of who provided the sample. We'll refer that to another team that will reach out to that new member and let them know what we need and we'll send them a fresh kit so we can still help them get on the registry.
0: That's great to hear. So when you say barcode, when you swab the inside of your cheek, you actually do that after you complete a profile on the registry or to begin the process of joining the registry, you create a profile. Within that profile, there is an option for you to receive the kit. And on the kit itself, there is a barcode that then becomes your identifier. Am I correct?
1: That's right. Whether you request this kit online or you join at a community event that we like to call live drives, you will be provided with barcode labels that are unique to you, and that eliminates the need to put your name or any of your identifying information on this genetic sample. It keeps it anonymous, essentially, for everyone who's handling that sample.
0: Absolutely. And when it is handled, are your team members, are they using the proper PPE gloves, goggles, anything that would not interrupt the process with their own DNA or anything outside of being part of the process?
1: Yes. When our team members are receiving samples from deliveries in the morning, we make sure that they're wearing lab coats because we don't know what's in the boxes that we receive. Usually they're dried samples on swabs, but once in a while we do receive whole blood samples and need to protect ourselves from those biological materials. Once the samples are open and we can see that they're dried swabs, most team members will hang up the lab coats and then they're required to use exam gloves. That not only protects my team members, but it also protects the samples. It keeps them from being contaminated by any other DNA in the environment.
0: You said one to three days, but how long can the samples be stored for?
1: We've done some time storage studies. And when samples are stored at room temperature without too much humidity control, beyond normal air conditioning in the summer, that sample will be viable or good for testing for between five and six years. Uh At that point, the DNA starts to dry out and those long strands start to break. And that makes it more difficult for our laboratories to test. Ideally, we would like to test fresher samples that are between one and three months old.
0: So when someone is interested in joining the registry and they receive this swab kit in the mail, for a ease of process, what would you say is the best turnaround time? Are we talking right away? Do they have, you know, maybe another couple of days to think about it? Do they have, you know, a month or, you know, what is the ideal time to send that swab kit back after you've actually done your swab?
1: That timeline is really up to the new registry member. Be The Match certainly wants to be building a registry that is full of people, but we want those people to be sure that this is a commitment they want to make. So I would encourage new registry members to do that thinking before they open the kit and actually put the swabs in their mouth to collect their sample, Mm -hmm. because then they can think as long as is comfortable for them. When it's something that you decide you want to do, then go ahead and open those samples. If you do your sample collection and you have second thoughts, that's okay. You don't have to send the kit back in. Or if you wait for a really long time and our laboratories tell us, "Eh, we're having a hard time testing this sample, that's just an indication that we'll come back to that registry member and ask them for a fresh swab.
0: That is good information to know. And, and you you touched on something really important. It is a commitment and you should absolutely be pretty confident. I would like to say 100%, but are we ever 100% sure on anything? But you should be really strongly committed to, as they say, answering the call when called, if called, to become a donor. With that being said, in your experience, what are some of the impacts or maybe just one impact of someone changing their mind after joining the registry?
1: Once in a while, we will receive requests from registry members that they, they've changed their mind and they don't want their genetic sample to be around anymore. And so as a biorepository, we will check our electronic inventory for that sample's ID number. And if we have any sample still on site, we will go and find it and physically destroy it so that it can't be used for any more testing. And someone can also elect to be removed from the registry and wiped from our records if that's something that's really important to them.
0: And that's also good to know because some people want to know that if they do decide, you know, this may not have been the best thing for me, am I now locked in? And to know that you are not is absolutely good to know. And you just also touched on something. Let's talk about testing for anything else. As I started the program, I mentioned Henrietta Lacks, which we all know her stem Mm -hmm. cells were unbeknownst to her removed from her cervix during her time of care by medical practitioners. We also know that in this day and age, one of the reasons that African-Americans are hesitant to join the registry is because they're not sure of what's going to happen to their DNA or their samples. Be the match promises and has it written down in their laws of operation that that is not something that we do. In this day and age, is it a rule of thumb to test for anything other than matchability, to become a donor at the biorepositories?
1: I can answer that with a thousand percent confidence. Absolutely not. If there is a breakthrough in science and suddenly there's something new that we could test for or we want to run some kind of pilot testing, we will reach out to that registry member and ask, are you interested? Would you provide a fresh sample? Saying no, does not mean that you're not on the registry anymore. It's entirely up to that registry member.
0: That is amazing to know. I think that once again, education is key and understanding the process It helps to alleviate some of the concerns that some of the people that we have spoken to in market, you mentioned live drive events. We've talked to people that are like, "Mm, no, not for me. I don't know what you guys are going to do for my DNA. We know that we have done internal focus groups with members of ethnic communities and they share the same impact. When we talk about generational fear, that is exactly what it is. It is absorbing the myths that have been passed down about bone marrow transplant processes and procedures in general combined with the generational fear of the medical institutions in and of itself. You know, grandma has passed it down to daughter and daughter has passed it down to daughter and daughter has passed it down to son. And it just goes down from generation to generation. But we are absorbed by it because it is a real act. It was truthfully done. And, you know, the fear of it being redone or repeating itself, history repeating itself, is a real factor within the ethnic communities. So, hopefully, this episode that we're having today will sort of shed some light on fact versus myth. Hopefully helping someone that's on the fence, get off the fence and decide whether this is for them or whether it's not for them. There is not a right or wrong answer. We just want to be able to provide the information that will help someone make a conscious decision. And with that being said, as we close out the segment, what are some words of encouragement or some words of reasoning that you would love to impart on our audience today? for joining the registry?
1: I would encourage people to join the registry because what a great gift to be able to donate stem cells that will regenerate in you. You're really not missing those stem cells that you give up to potentially save someone else's life and to allow them to have more time with their family and their friends. That's incredible. That mm. That's hope that you can put on the registry for those searching patients. I want people who are considering joining the registry to know that their samples will be treated with anonymity and respect, and that they will not be shared outside of the direct purpose that Be The Match has communicated, and that is to find matches for these searching
0: patients. I love that. I love that. You summed that up amazing. I, you know, once again, this is not a podcast to convince people to join the registry. You have to do that on your own. You Mm -hmm. have to feel like in your soul and your spirit, this is what you have been called to do. What we once again want to do is make sure that we provide information, inspiration, and resources that will help you make a confident but conscious decision. Because in the end, as I've said, it will take all of us to save one of us. I'm your host, Tamara Weston and Jessica Henry. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to talking to you on the next episode of black blood Hills. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to black blood Hills. Head over to be the match BLK.org, for more information on how you can join the registry and get involved.